Hello, Canada and the rest of the world, and welcome once again to the Netflix Podcast, the show where we review the movies available to stream on Canadian Netflix. I'm your host, Dylan Clark Moore, and I'm joined here today by super nerd Pat Leyland. Welcome, Pat. Hey there. It's glad to be back, actually. It's uh, my third time. I'm going for the hat trick. Third time. Although this is the first time we're doing a movie not based on a video game. That's true. It's tragic. Oh, no. It hits you right there. Oh, God. So is there anything cool that you've been watching on Netflix recently, Pat? I've been kind of uh, going back to The Office. Um, it's kind of one of my go-tos. I like to put it on and actually fall asleep to it. I know it seems kind of ridiculous, but I think this is the third time I've gone through this series, just putting it on and just watching the episodes, and it's still it's still entertaining to me. Yeah, we're, we're watching it right now, too. We just, tonight, before I came in, watched the uh, Scott's Tots episode. Oh. Where <laughs> 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 Makes the pledge 10 years ago to yep. these <laughs> inner city children. Oh, no. My favorite part of that uh, episode, actually, is when Stanley remembers the whole thing. <laughs> and he is just dying with laughter. And he's got the newspaper clipping. And he just thinks it's, like, the best thing he has ever seen. <laughs> it's so good. All right. Well, the movie that we are here to talk about this week is from the year 2015. It's directed by Josh Trank. We're going to be talking about Fantastic Four. Fanforstic? Well, that's how it's spelled, so yeah. Right. <laughs> Before we get into it, I should let you know that today's episode of the Netflix podcast is brought to you in part by UnLondon's 121 Studios. It's London's premier digital media hub and co-working space. Visit 121studios.ca for more information. So the ways that Netflix describes this movie are as follows. First, when you hover over the title, it says, A trip to an alternate dimension turned them into mutant freaks. Now they'll go to hell and back to save humankind. <laughs> you like that? <laughs> what a terrible description of that movie. Uh, it sounds like a better movie. It does sound like a better movie. It actually sounds like, you know, something happens in the first 59 <laughs> minutes. <laughs> it's true. That really is a description of the last third of the movie. Yeah, it really is. When you click on the title, the description changes to A team of scientists accidentally enhanced with superhuman abilities must use their powers to battle a megalomaniac supervillain threatening Earth. See, I immediately have a problem with that description because it's Only not a, a team of scientists. Two of them are scientists. 50% of them are scientists. And the other two like, is a street car racing person and the other one fights people in a junkyard. Yeah. It's basically an underachiever and Stephen Avery and two scientists. Yeah. The genres that this movie belongs to, according to Netflix, are action and adventure. Adventures, comic book and superhero movies, children and family movies. Which kind of surprised me at the end there. Well, they, I mean, they say shit a lot. They say shit. A guy's head gets blown up. Yeah, yeah, you see a lot of blood. Really stressfully. So I wouldn't say children and family movies. Oh, no, that is very far from a children or Isn't it like 14A? I, I I don't know what the rating is. I didn't check that out. Is that lumped in with like a Dora the Explorer? If she'd like <laughs> children and family movies, Fantastic Four, Dora, Ong Back. Let's see what the rating is on Netflix. Oh, it's rated PG. Hmm. Huh. Really? And the moods that Netflix assigns are exciting and suspenseful. Which I felt neither of those while watching this maybe maybe in that last third like that it's that's when it becomes a different movie when yeah. you know when when von doom comes back but we'll, we'll get to that we'll okay get to that. okay 
so I have to ask because you know you, uh, you know, we, we kind of brainstormed, but eh, stormed. Awful. But uh, yeah, why Fantastic Four? Why was that the one that we landed on? Um, one, I think the it was between two movies. I can't remember what the other movie was off the top of my head. Um, but I think, or it was TMNT. That's what it was. Right. Um, and uh, I had seen that, and I think you might have as well too. Yeah, I really don't like it. No, it's terrible. I watched it, and I was like, I want like an hour and a half of my life back. So because we had already seen it, I figured you know we should do something that neither of us have has seen. Right. But I'm also a big fan of terrible movies. With um, <laughs> the the one previous I did was In the Name of the King Two Two, two Worlds. worlds. Uh, and then Silent Hill 2. Um, both of them just the, the top tier. It's top echelon of movies there. So I figured we should keep the trend going with unbelievably good films. <laughs> right, because the reputation for this movie has been devastating <laughs> oh, for yeah. the success of the movie. It's just atrocious. I, I think reviews came out like two days before the movie was released, which is never a good sign. I mean, mm-hmm. it's a little bit better than just never letting the critics preview it. But yeah, it's pretty reviled. Mm-hmm. And even on my Netflix profile, because before I put in my rating, it gives you the suggestion of what it thinks you're going to think. And for me, it was like one star. Yep. Like absolutely one star. So the first question is, I know that we're going to get into our own star ratings at the end and do kind of final wrap ups. But like, was it that bad? Was it like, is it deserving of all the rage and and fury that people have thrown at it or why do you think that this has why this has the reputation for being like one of the worst movies i don't it's tough to say because i mean it is it's a poor movie through and through it is like there's no getting around it the pacing was terrible the the characters were just as bland as melba toast so i mean yeah there there was definitely some severe glaring issues but i'm wondering if a, a lot of the the negativity also comes from the fact that it is based off of a superhero movie and it's a reboot of a previously pretty terrible franchise version as well too the one with uh, jessica elba and then i think that the guy from shield or something like that um yeah michael chiklis <laughs> there was, you go was the thing um so i think because there's a lot of uh you know expectations of it actually becoming, you know, a solid franchise. And then, you know, Doctor Doom was in it, and, you know, it was the younger versions, and it just, it seemed like there was a lot going for it. Um, Not to mention, like, it was at the peak of, like, the Avengers as well, too. Like, when there's a lot of hype when it comes to the big, you know, team superhero, uh, you know, Guardians of the Galaxy. There was the rumors at that time as well, too, of Justice League. So you have all these really, you know, top-tier groups, and Fantastic Four is one of those, for sure. And, uh, yeah, it was just I think that probably hurt it as well um, simply because in comparison to everything else that's out there, out there when it came to the team uh, the team movie so Guardians of the Galaxy X-Men Avengers all of that it was just trash in comparison like just absolutely awful in comparison to those ones and I mean the other ones they're just they're fun they're entertaining you can really you sink your teeth into it this one it was just Let's wait and see what happens for an hour. Maybe something is going to happen on screen. So I think that was its biggest downfall. It's just it had so much other stuff against it. Right. So it was more uh, quite a lot of circumstantial, like some contextual issues of kind of when this landed. Because I did appreciate that anybody who was involved in making this movie, they didn't seem like they were trying to make another Marvel Cinematic Universe movie. Mm -hmm. That's not what they were doing. You know, that 
reliable, entertaining fodder. Like they were trying to do something else, which I appreciated. I didn't, I mean, appreciated that they were doing it. I didn't appreciate <laughs> what they ended up with a whole heck of a lot, but, yeah. but it was refreshing to get that at least because, you know, you hear a lot about this whole superhero burnout that people are, you know, at least people on the internet who are listening to this, the most reliable people <laughs> consistently, um, never more outspoken than they need to be. No. But, you know, I, and I, I tend to agree that we're kind of at a point now that, that we've seen the same thing a lot. And it's, you know, if that's all that we're seeing, maybe we need to mix things up a bit. And this at least tried to do that. And, like, I can definitely see that as well, too. The um, You can really tell that they tried to take what the the, the Christopher Nolan uh, Batman movies we were doing. It's Nolan, Christopher Nolan, right? Yep. Yeah. Okay, cool. I always, for some reason, feel like I get his name wrong every time. Um, with those those films in particular, they were darker. You know, the the origin story was a, like a much larger. Like you really didn't see like Batman in the flesh for the most part until halfway through the film um, in uh, Batman Begins, which personally that is my favorite out of the trilogy, um, just because the pacing was done so well and just like the establishment behind the characters and everything was just so fantastically well done. And I think that's what they were trying to mimic with this, but just they fell short in so many areas. Um, and then, I mean, to, to go on the point as well, too, with the superhero burnout, you mentioned that, you know, we're seeing the same sort of formulaic things happening over and over and over, but then you take a look at Civil War, and I'm not going to spoil anything for anyone, but, I mean, they did a great job of creating a story and, like, creating a villain that was so non-villainous. He was an, an average guy that just had knowledge, and he used that knowledge to his advantage. And that, to me, was such a unique and, and amazing twist on everything. So there are still ways to do it, but it's just, are they just going to cash in or are they going to try and explore stuff? And thankfully, with Captain America Civil War, they tried to explore it. This one that looked like we need to make a team movie. And then it's almost like they forgot that they were superheroes. And they're like, ah, oh, crap, we got to add that in. So speaking of the, the villains then, I mean, Dr. Von Doom or Victor Von Doom, I don't think he has a doctorate. He's a convenient villain in mm -hmm. this, I guess. Like when we first meet him, he's this, you know, this greasy nerd sitting behind a bunch of computer banks and he's just playing Assassin's Creed. Is, is that what he's playing? Yeah. Nice. <laughs> and he's just, he's just miserable and he's fed up with the world and, and it just, it read so obnoxious mm -hmm. to me that he was like, well, the the humanity is ruining the world <laughs> and if you're at all familiar with with kind of even the fact that dr von doom or even just from hearing his name like von doom like of course this is going to be your big bad guy mm -hmm. and to have him come in and be this kind of underwhelming whiny teen genius was a pretty quick <laughs> red flag yeah that things and i i'm not saying that a better way would have been to introduce all of a sudden this politician guy that doesn't fit in with any of the characters or anything but the fact that his whole beef with reed seemed to be like this petty jealousy and then he goes from that to wanting to absolutely destroy everything about the earth like it it just it all read really insincere for me yeah like it it escalated real quick like it just he was just like i'm kind of a brooding teen to i hate everyone everyone needs to die but without any reason yeah like it's just kind of that maybe he was underappreciated like they they let him walk away from the project or they weren't willing to put up with his his attitude so everybody needs to die like i bet this guy has a live journal somewhere that explains how angsty he's feeling or at least a myspace playlist or something yeah 
But then at the end, there's this other part that I didn't respond terribly well to, which was when he's kind of said to everybody, this is after he's been brought back into the into the real world, into our dimension. Mm-hmm. And he kind of sits up from the table and he kills a bunch of people. Like, I'm not forgiving that at all. Like, he's he's pretty grumpy about it. Mm-hmm. But, but he allows himself to be taken there in the first place. But anyway, so he, he goes to head back. And there's been no indication that he's doing anything harmful. Like, as far as we know at that point, he just kind of wants to go home. Because he's like, no, like, I was it was better there. And my body has adjusted to figuring out how to live there. And he just wants to go home. Mm-hmm. And everybody loses their mind about it. They chase him in. And that's when we find out that, oh, what he's doing is actually collapsing all of Earth. So even when these stakes are enormous, we kind of learn about the stakes incidentally. And it's just them chasing the bad guy because that's what they're supposed to do. Yeah, they don't really know that they're supposed to do that at that point. In fact, uh, even um, like the characters are just, to me, they were so insignificant. The female on the team, (laughs) she was just like along for the ride. That's pretty much what it seemed like because she didn't even want to go into any sort of combat or anything like that. She was opposed to Apollo Creed's son, whatever his face is, uh, Johnny Storm. She was really opposed to him going into the field. Yet all of a sudden, it's just like, well, all right, let's do this. And she was like 100% on board, no flinching whatsoever when it came to like trying to do stuff. And I understand it was like, oh, we need to save the world is what her mentality was. But there was no hesitation whatsoever. And she seemed to get more powerful as it just... Like, she was super weak, and then all of a sudden, she's like, we can fly now. Yeah, that happens a bunch, where <laughs> it's like there are a bunch of montages missing from this movie, mm-hmm. where, um, for instance, like, every time we've seen Reed do an experiment, chaotic things happen. <laughs> and, like, it sort of works. Like, they, they end up getting some version of the result that they want, but it's never flawless. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, when he's given all the technology in the world, it's not that, and everything works perfectly, and... They can send a monkey away, no problem, and it doesn't die or anything. Right. And I'm not saying that I wanted a scene from, like, the fly where it comes back inside out or anything like that. Like, that would have been really horrific. And I apologize for the tastelessness of making jokes about dead gorillas and stuff right now. But, <laughs> but yeah, like, but yeah, Sue goes from kind of having an understanding of how her force fields work and, like, being able to, like, push some storage containers out of the way to all of a sudden she knows how to surround all of her friends and she knows that Johnny doesn't have to be like there's so much missing mm-hmm. there are these these gaps and my understanding is that this was originally like the way that Josh Trank originally wanted to do it it was supposed to be like this 2 hour 20 minute much more epic thing that ended up getting reshot and cut into into what it eventually became but it does like and I I don't know if these are scenes that were cut or if I'm just like playing like armchair director here, armchair editor. But I've got to imagine that there were scenes where Sue was a person and not just a prop for whatever was needed in the scene, right? Mm-hmm. So she like shows up and recognizes patterns and listens to Portishead. Like that's that's pretty much the only thing that she does except for using her superpowers. Johnny sort of has this relationship with his dad, but it's so boiled down to its most basic elements that it's basically him stomping around saying no dad i'm an adult now i don't have to listen to you like i'm an adult is a line that he says in the movie and i just rolled my eyes like (laughs) no 28 year old michael b jordan no i don't want to see you do this i don't need to see children you know stomping their feet and claiming that 
they need to be taken seriously. That's not what I want from this movie. And even if you are going to do that, like, don't just say it like that. Which brings me to kind of my whole overall beef with how this movie made me feel in that it wasn't necessarily that I was bored. It wasn't necessarily that it was so hokey. It was that it kind of made me hate myself a bit. (laughs) What? Let me explain. (laughs) So... I've talked on this show before with, uh, you know, different people who identify as belonging to different generations. And I know right now there's this whole groundswell of conversations about quote unquote millennials and what that means and how people treat them and and that sort of thing. And I definitely identify with a lot of the, the traits that are seen to be typical of millennials and, and, you know, feeling like they're better than their circumstances and like they haven't been, you know, the world hasn't given us the things that they've promised us both for good and bad, you know, identify with a lot of these things. And I feel like this movie was trying to be a champion of millennials. Like Josh Trank is, at the time he directed at 27, 28 years old. He's directed one independent movie. He's just brimming with creative authenticity. And he makes this movie that is essentially about this kid, Reed, who is so special that schools and parents just don't know what to do with him. He's this bright shining beacon of amazingness that when he tries to share that with you know with the older generation with his teacher his teacher homer simpson yep um (laughs) it's just kind of like don't say dumb things in my classroom you're supposed to come up with real ideas not this bullshit science fiction so the story ends up being about reed finding people of an older generation who are willing to let him do him and let him be special (laughs) and i think that we're supposed to celebrate that and it's supposed to be like yeah you know give the resources to the people who are coming up with these amazing fresh ideas but instead everybody's super annoying Mm -hmm. and you get michael b jordan or john johnny storm saying things like i'm i'm an adult now you don't have to listen to me and the fact that like the one that really stands out to me is reed saying to sue because sue sue calls him as like you want to be famous right there's that scene in the library where she says you want to be famous you want to be recognized for how great you are he's like no i just want to help people but then the whole reason that their whole transformation happens is because when johnny victor and reed are sitting around in a room drinking beers or drinking liqueur of some kind together out of the flask out of the world's smallest flask and yeah and getting gets... super hammered but yeah they're the whole reason that they decide to go on this mission is because they hear that, well, maybe NASA is going to come in and they're going to fly this thing before we do. So we need to get in there because history only remembers the first person to fly it, not the people who built it. So they're full of shit when they say that we don't want to be famous because they show that they do and they don't think about the consequences. There are these catastrophic consequences that, I mean, granted, Reed does feel responsible for them and he keeps promising that he's going to do something about it, but he never has to. He's never actually held to task when he comes back he's welcomed back with open arms and ben's a little pissed at him but by the end of the movie they're all hanging out together and trying to come up with some cute nickname for themselves i agree like it, it was it was incoherent almost is when it came to it like there there was a theme that they were trying to say and then they were just kept switching what the theme was it was ridiculous and like there were so many weird shots in it as well too that they kind of bothered me and it shouldn't have because they were completely inconsequential, but I think that's the reason why it bothered me is because of how important they made the shot look and then how useless and pointless that part was. Um, so uh, one example is the toy car. 
um, when, when he does the teleportation for the first time, the toy car that goes over there and they, they clean up the sand. I was so expecting the first time they go there, when they land and he bends over to grab the soil off the ground to see the little toy car when he picks it up. And he's just like sort of a throwback, you know, a little like, oh, cool, look at that. It's buried under sand, but I found it. Oh, what are the odds? This must be the exact same spot. Awesome. I right, it's this validation and it ties it back to the whole beginning. and Yeah, exactly. So like tying together the first steps to the, the second steps, really. Um, and then the other one was uh, the Swiss Army Knife. Um, now, I know that it was technically tying it pretty much 10 minutes apart in the film together, if you will. So when um, when Ben gives uh, Reed the uh, the Swiss Army knife because he was stripping the the uh, the screws uh, when he was doing the, the initial thing and when he was a kid. And then when he finally moves into I think it was New York is where they most likely it was New York. It's always in New York. He gives them this gift. He opens it up and they do this really big close up shot of the Swiss Army knife. And then he's like, oh, thanks. And it's just, and that was about it. <laughs> oh, neat. And he throws it in a bin. Like, he just, he didn't care at all. And it was just such a, a useless part of the film. Like, there was no connection. There was nothing. But they made it seem like there was this big connection there. Like, they were trying to, to make this unbelievable bond between the two people. But the music didn't even change. And music kind of dictates, you know, what your emotions should be while you're watching it. And it didn't even, like, do a little bit of a swell or, like, a flutter or something like that. It was literally just, like, this wind tunnel of silence. Says, like, I got you a present. <laughs> got you a present. Cool. Fantastic Four. Like, that was pretty much what it felt like. There were so many inconsequential and pointless scenes that were put into this. Like, the racing. Uh, there was, oh, that was a, a stupid thing with the, I don't know if you noticed, the, the fire flower hanging from the windshield the the from the Mario Brothers. Mm-hmm. The, the little fire flowers. Just, like... We get it. You're trying to be cute, but come on. You see right through it because it's just like we know he's, he's going to be Johnny Storm. He's Human Torch. We've seen the commercials and the trailers. You don't need to try and tease it at this point. Like, calm down, guys. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I get what you mean that there's yeah, – there, there aren't too many moments that aren't directly narrated to us. Like any time that – I forget, the Franklin Storm? Is that the, the dad? Sure. So Johnny and Sue's father. Yeah. You know, any any time that we should be feeling emotion, we're being narrated emotion. Like we're being told that family is the most important thing. Like the the man is always speaking in these these hacky speeches, and the movie seems to think that those hacky speeches are the same as us being emotionally invested, because we're seeing characters talk about being emotionally invested, but nobody's ever feeling mm-hmm. anything. Like the only time that we do see anybody really feel something is or at least that that comes to mind maybe when franklin dies spoiler warning you know johnny seems mildly upset but... and then he gets blasted by the blue orb and then it's just like hmm i'm less pissed now well yeah like even when franklin dies that's barely played for anything like he's this central character he's the one who brought everybody together mm-hmm. you know it should feel like this giant betrayal from victor that you know that that Victor has taken down this man who believed in him so much that was willing to give him second and third chances. Sue doesn't seem to care. Johnny cares for maybe 10 seconds. Reed and Ben hardly knows. Now Ben barely knows the guy, but, but there's no, like there's nothing, there's nothing to what should be this really powerful moment. Mm -hmm. And yeah, like everything from 
telling us that Reed and Ben are friends is not the same as Reed and Ben being friends. Mm-hmm. It was like somebody was narrating a book to us. Yeah, it was the Cole's notes of the beginning of Fantastic Four. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that that's pretty much what the first two-thirds of the movie is. It's this constant thing where it, it promises that it's building to something yep. by telling us that, <laughs> you know, by narrating its way to it. Um, but then the the last third happens and that's where it just kind of becomes a whole different movie than it ever was before basically it's when they go to the planet zero is that what they call it in in this movie i believe so yeah yeah so they go to planet zero they pick up this this errant von doom hitchhiker guy and bring him back and then yeah it becomes this whole other movie where it's all about violence and special effects and i guess teamwork because Reed tells them that it's teamwork. Like, that's when he, he does that, that stupid hacky line of... It, was it uh, after they all tried to take him down individually? He's like, we can't take him down ourselves. I was like, so no, I gonna... know we're not strong enough. But together, we're strong enough. Or something yeah. something dumb like that. Where, I don't know, it seems like it's always trying to take credit for something that it hasn't built. Mm-hmm. Like, it's asking for the emotional payoff by hitting the beats of it without filling them in with anything and i mean it kind of goes back to again like like you were mentioning like there's there's major scenes missing is what it it feels like like the fight with von doom it was just like oh no like johnny storms now covered in rocks and is hurt and then michael chiklis is covered in 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 more rocks and then uh sue is covered in I think she's being crushed by her own force field. Oh, right. That's what it is. Uh, Yeah. Her own force field. And then Reed is for some reason sleepy. It's what it kind of looked like. Yeah. I didn't get that. It was like his, like like his, his wrists were just drooping and yeah, I never, that never made any sense to me. What was going on with him? Carpal tunnel, but just like, and then all of a sudden it's just, they realize, Oh wait, I have the power within me says Reed. And he stands up, throws him off of a ledge. Somehow that fixes everything. And then they can literally kill Doctor Doom. That was it. It's done. The biggest villain in Marvel. And they kill him in like 20 minutes of screen time. Yeah. And they they put together all of these kind of complicated tandem tag team moves that they've never practiced together. Again, like there was a training montage that we missed or, or something. Like at least do the Dragon Ball Z thing where everybody gets the shit kicked out of them and you have to take some time to recover or something. Mm-hmm. But it isn't that. It's just this rallying because it makes the music of rallying and because Reed is straining his face. But I will admit that the last third is where the movie became... I'm saying the last third because I don't really know what the timing is. But... It's where the movie became something else, and it, it got more intense, much more action-y. The special effects, I'll admit, looked, in oh, a yeah. lot of cases, great. Like when the, the cars and like all of the city were being sucked up into the portal, and um, they did do a good job of having these people with these disparate and admittedly ridiculous powers look cool and mm-hmm. look way more legitimate than they've ever looked in any any movie before like reed looks like a badass and like he's figured out ways to use his elasticity for creative and violent means and yeah and i mean like sue's stuff looks great and i mean johnny storm can't not look great but but yeah like everybody looked fantastic oh my god everybody looked (laughs) fantastic that was not on purpose there you go 
And it seemed like that was what we were building to, but they also, that's when it got its worst and it's mm. hackiest and it's most nonsensical and it's most frustrating. So, you know, like that's, it, it's like it's split and it was like, all right, fine, we're going to do something else. And then we're going to shit on everything we've done already, even though we didn't do a whole hell of a lot. Which is, I found it really frustrating. Oh yeah. Me too. Like I know I was watching it and, uh, when they finally got to the planet, I was like, oh my God, when is this movie actually going to like start is what it felt like. Cause it was just like, it was almost like reading the world's longest intro to a book being like, these are the people that you might've heard of before. These are their backstories. And it just, it took forever. So I hovered over to see how much time was left. And it was at that point at one hour when they put the American flag into the weird soil and then caused the world to blow up, um, pretty much. Um, it was at the one-hour point, and I think the movie was only like an hour and 42 minutes in total. So more than half of it was literally all staging with nothing to even talk about when it came to any sort of superpowers, which is fine if they did it right, but they didn't. Right. So it's just the the pacing was so wrong, so unbelievably wrong. Mm-hmm. The part that struck me from the pacing is that it seemed like the movie really wanted us to celebrate teamwork and everybody coming together, but the problem was they weren't a team until the very end. Mm -hmm. Like They weren't even like all on the same screen at the same time because at first, you've got the team is Victor, Reed, Sue, and Johnny working together on the project, and then when they decide that they're going to you know, smuggle away... Sue gets dropped out because she would tell her dad and they bring in Ben. So then that's the foursome that you have. Mm-hmm. Victor, Reed, Ben, and Johnny. And then Reed fucks off. Victor is gone. So it's you're down to three people. And then when Reed finally joins back up with everybody, it's not until, and I checked the timestamp at the time, like when they get to Planet Zero and you see the four of them lined up next to each other, you finally have Reed, Sue, Johnny, and Ben. Mm-hmm. 17 minutes left. So that's when we first see the team together, and that's when it's it's one of the better shots. It's it's exciting to see mm-hmm. them all together because you feel like, yeah, we're finally there. But then they go through, within a matter of five minutes, their whole thing of not fighting together. And then and then magically they're fighting together and everything's great, and he does his, his whole rally and cry. Like, it was like they were doing two movies at the same time, one mm-hmm. that built up to them finally getting together, and then this other really condensed storyline that that had it didn't have time to register as being worthwhile Mm -hmm. and to go along with you know yet another marvel villain that just kind of falls to the wayside i mean granted it wasn't one of the you know official like disney marvel ones that was done but like dr doom like i mentioned before is like one of the most iconic villains in in all of comic books um there's people who do not read comic books and they've heard of dr doom because it's just one of the most recognizable names because it's one of the most easiest names to remember really so you kind of see his power you can see what he can do and you can start to kind of grasp oh wow like he's you can really fuck shit up if he wanted to and then it's just like oh wait no he gets punched into the blue aura and then he can't do anything when he's in there for some reason even though he like he could blow people's minds apart and don't get me started about why he didn't just go pop 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 to the three of them and then they're dead uh (laughs) but so he gets punched in this blue thing and then Johnny Storm can now break through rocks for some reason, unharmed completely. And I mean, yeah, he's got fires and stuff like that, but he he broke the three pillars around just by flying into them. So apparently he has superhuman strength too. 
And then shit falls on him, and then he's just gone, and he's dead. And it's just, like, or assumed and most likely dead. And it's like, okay, well, here is literally one of the most devastating villains in all of comic book history, and you kill him off in a heartbeat. Like, you, you shot yourself in the foot if you wanted to do any kind of sequel. Because the only other route you can go is Silver Surfer, which you did in the other series, and it didn't pan out. Um, so there are so many things that they just... It's like they forgot what they were doing. And then they just were scrambling at the end to try and piece it together. And just really weird things. Like, why were they at the, the kids' science fair? Oh, because they had heard about Reed. I'm sure that's what it was. By by reputation, they'd been spying on him or whatever the did case they was. Ever, did they ever mention that? Or is it just, hopefully people assume this, or otherwise we're just two really weird, creepy people at a high just school. cruising high school science fairs, yeah. <laughs> I found it so annoying that these people were playing young children and that they were acting like children. I mean, when I say children, I mean teenagers. So, you know, I'm sorry to our Tumblr followers, but <laughs> but really, it's that's why I appreciated that there was like that one year gap mm-hmm. where Reed disappeared and where because that that actually gave you the chance to feel like people actually had feelings. Like Reed had become angsty and angry and determined in that time he was no longer this this underappreciated wonder kid mm-hmm. and ben's taken all this time to harbor a whole bunch of resentment like that that year was so valuable like if they hadn't taken that and they just had everybody kind of keep going the way that their characters uh, on the path that their characters were on yeah it just wouldn't have see now i i completely 100 percent agree with you so my question then for that would be why didn't they extend that year that year to me should have been you know the body of the paragraph like that's or of the of the essay like that should have been the almost the semi main focal point of the entire film of here's the initial startup this is what's going on this is how they got there cool they've now got the powers read fox off they all start to you know do their own thing and then you see that growth because you see a little bit of a montage like here and there of stuff happening but that's about it and you don't hear anything about read it's just like, oh, Reed's gone. Oh, we can't find him. Type, type, type. Look, we found him. And he's doing weird things with his face. But, like, there was an opportunity to show that growth and really show how Johnny decided that he was going to, you know, become this person. Like, really embody what his father had said, which then could have at least extended that storyline of, you know, try and be something. You know, try and be make something of your life. And he's now going, yeah, this is what I want to do. Because then when there's that altercation with him before he says that he's going to go into the field... Like, that just felt like, oh, shoot, yeah, I forgot you're, you've been training this entire time to go and do this, but now I'm going to talk to you about it before you go and do it because I don't think you're ready. But it's just like, you know, how do we not? Like, he he looks like he's ready. What what does ready look like? I don't I don't understand. Like, there were so many, like, missed opportunities, and, like, the, the script itself just seemed so lacking in, in areas. It does seem strange that we're, <laughs> we both keep seeming to propose that – the answer to fixing this would be to have more of this movie. Yeah. Because that also seems wrong. Yeah, it really does. <laughs> you know, I, I I wasn't there, so I don't want to assume too much, but a lot of what seems interesting about this movie is how it kind of became what it eventually did because the director, Josh Trank, allegedly had a lot of either disinterest or animosity towards the way that the studio wanted this thing to be made. Apparently had beef on set with Kate Mara because he didn't want her to be involved in the production. He had somebody else in mind. So just like this 
this whole idea and even the fact that people are so aware of which you know when it comes to these superhero things people are very aware of which company has the rights to what if you ask a nerd on the internet which production company controls x-men they know it's fox who has spider-man they know it's sony it was this huge deal that sony and disney figured out a way that they could share Mm spider-man right so this is all part of the story now and people are passionate about it and apparently part of the whole deal with making fantastic four now was the fact that it had been seven years since a fantastic four movie had been made so fox needed to do something pronto otherwise they were going to lose the rights to fantastic four silver surfer dr von doom all these characters that they've been kind of holding close to their chest and not letting marvel have back Mm -hmm. from the movies so they had to do something now so i'm not an insider when it comes to the movie industry or anything and i think that I think that it's irresponsible to speculate a whole heck of a lot about it, but at the very least, it is interesting that that's part of the story that, you know, the mythology of this movie extends beyond just how unsuccessful the movie is as a movie and is also a story about movie making and the state of of superhero films. Mm-hmm. They were incredibly lucky, like unbelievably stupid lucky that Ryan Reynolds would not let Deadpool be anything less than rated R because he was the biggest champion when it came to it. He was an executive producer, so he was just like, I'm withholding my money. Uh, <laughs> so, like, he was one of the, probably the loudest voices to make sure that that was done properly. And, you know, they, they kept saying, no, we don't want, no, no, because it's got to be family friendly. You know, that's what superheroes are. And he kept being like, no, you guys are assholes. Just listen to me. Like, you can't make this a family friendly movie. There's absolutely no way. Because then the other issue as well, too, is then the kids are like, oh, I love Deadpool, which, I mean, they did anyway. Um, But more kids will go and see it. They'll be more exposed to it. Then they go and get the comic books, and it's just like, holy shit, that is not what this is about in the slightest. Because, like, there's some stuff in there that even I was, and I am probably one of the most vulgar and crude motherfuckers in the world. And even I was like, wow, that's in print. (laughs) (laughs) So... It's 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 strange to see stuff like that and like I'm really hopeful that they take a a page out of Deadpool and take a step back and look at what you know their films have become because I know like X Men and everything were doing well too but like Fantastic Four and and everything like that like they they if the, I think they've officially canned it I don't think they're going to be doing any more movies with it and if they decide to I really hope they take a step back and look at at least the industry itself and just kind of be like you know. Where did we go wrong? Because it, they didn't look at what they did previously and say, where did we go wrong? They just looked and said, how can we make this darker is the way I saw it. And that was about it. And it's the Fantastic Four. The guy is made of goddamn rubber. How can you be serious when a guy is made of rubber? Come on. He is Stretch Armstrong. <laughs> I'm trying to think if there was anything else that drove me fucking insane. Yeah, the, just the powers and stuff like that. Like, They had amazing powers and they always have had amazing powers. And it's just, it's so underplayed except for except for the thing. And they don't really even call him the thing. And the introduction to his catchphrase is just so stupid. Why would he say it's clobberin' time when that's what his brother would say before he beat the crap out of him? No, you would never, you would never say what, the, you know, oh, I got abused. I'm going to use that line when I abuse people in the future. <laughs> like, just poor, very, very poor decision yeah, there. Yeah, that, that- that was frustrating when the when there were the moments of what seemed like they were fan service like the it's clobberin time joke 
I guess. Yeah. Before you see this domestic issue going on at the junkyard. And, oh, my God, the end. The end. The very last scene where they're standing in front of the, you know, when they're standing in the central city. Like, oh, man, what should we call ourselves? Like, oh, my God. It's so bad. Yeah. It's unbearable how bad it is. And it, the tone is completely different than everything else that the rest of the movie's been doing. They're trying for this whole fun, safe, franchise-building cutesy shawarma eating scene Mm -hmm. and it's it's not that and it's not even that it is different it's it's not even just bad because it's different from the rest of the movie it's bad because it's bad Mm -hmm. it's like the end of the harry potter movies (laughs) when they're all grown up and they're just like weird and like uncanny valley and just it's it's sort of the same kind of thing where it just was like oh was this really necessary no it should have just ended in that boardroom and then like a fly over to central city and there's, you know, the nerd boner for, for the fans there. And she's like, oh, my God. Kind of like, you know, one of the, you know, spoiler alert with Captain America. When they went to, um, uh, what's his face? Uh, Steel Panther. Wakanda. Yeah. Black Panther. <laughs> Steel Panther. Yeah, when they go to Wakanda and it's just like, oh, my God, that's amazing. So, like, for me, like, I got, like, nerd chills. Other people would be like, cool, it's a tiger in the rocks and it's just like okay all right who cares it looks cool though and i mean that that should have been sort of the same thing it like almost like you know making it a shrek like an inside joke for the parents whereas this is an inside joke for the nerds yeah except they're they're announcing the name of the movie that we saw on our tickets and we saw on the billboard and we saw everywhere like it's you don't have to do this have it like if you're making a second movie just have somebody call you that on your own right mm -hmm. you don't have to uh it's they were trying because they they just don't even own it either. No, they play with it and they just kind of they keep poking you in the ribs and be like, "We're gonna do it. We're gonna do it. We're gonna say Fantastic Four. No, we're not. Yeah, we're gonna do it. No, we're not." I'm like, "Stop teasing me with this. This isn't something I want. You can't dangle this in front of me. I'm not happy if I get this. I'm <laughs> mad that you're doing this." It's like you're walking away and they keep smacking you in the face with a carrot on the stick. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's because I think they were trying to mimic what they did with Iron Man one. Where at the end, it would, Wait, like, I am Iron Man. It, yeah. And then it was just like, it goes to the end, it shows the end credits, and it was like, yeah, that's awesome. But it was just like, they didn't even do that. Like you said, it was just it's like, Fantastic Four. <laughs> 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 that was like, okay, so the, the end whole resolution to their whole story was the, was the part that made me think that this was supposed to be like pro millennial. Mm-hmm. Because at the end of this story, what ends up happening is that this kid who all along has been saying, I've, you just got to let me be me, let me be special, and I'm going to change the world. And it's, you know, a lot of the conflict is about grownups basically telling him, like, no, 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 do it on our terms, do it on our terms. So then when they come back from this other planet, the military is telling them, or NASA or whoever it is, whatever white men in suits are at that board meeting, mm-hmm. they tell the Fantastic Four or they tell the, the as yet unnamed group. Basically, the, the government agency is like, okay, so yeah, we need you to keep doing military missions for us. And Reed's like, how about no? And they're like, well, what are you going to do? And they're like, we're going to let our rock guy beat you up? Like, no, you're not going to start murdering government agents. What are you doing there? So then Reed's idea is, well, how about you just give us unlimited facilities and allow us to work without any oversight whatsoever? And then they get it. 
Like mm-hmm. the government just bends over backwards because they have to bow down to how amazing these these indigo children are. Like that's the ultimate thing. The big finale is that these super special people get to be treated super special because they are representative of the millennial generation. And I enjoy that literally that entire facility. And I mean, they do in like in a very, very offhand comment. Um, uh, Johnny's dad, uh, the one that called everybody son. Um, he does like every does, yeah. son. Listen, um, but uh, it's just it's a habit because he's so used to adopting people. Son, oh sorry, I yelled at him again. Um, <laughs> he just forgets which ones are actually his kids. <laughs> it's talking to Sue. But anyways, he mentions in passing, you know, you're far too brilliant for this, and you know, you're proud. Like I think he mentions like you know, you're genius or something like that. Like it's supposed to prove that yeah, he is really smart. But you really don't get a sense of that. It's just like, can you weld? Yes. And then that's all we know that he does for the entire project, minus going into the suit. You really don't see him do anything else. No. So no, Human Torch is not a character. Mm. He's a prop. He's yeah. he's there to go on fire. Mm-hmm. Like there's, he's one of the ones where there's a chunk missing there. Yeah. So I find it interesting that that entire facility, in theory, is for two people and a mechanic. <laughs> <laughs> because the rock guy can't do anything. Yeah, can you hand me that beaker? Like, <laughs> like he can't do anything. He's he is one hundred percent useless in that entire facility. Like, oh, man, he's he... <laughs> a hazard. Like, he will probably cause substantially more problems and cost so much money. Yeah, what do you even do with him after the fact? Because like he can't. Yeah, I mean, he worked on a junkyard, so you assume that he was, you know... You can get parts. He was capable. Yeah, he, he was capable at yeah, fine work with his hands, mm-hmm. you know, like giving out tools as gifts. Obviously, he knows how to use them, and now he's just this, this instrument. Yeah, like his one finger is the size of, like, a normal human hand. So it's just like, let me just grab the little tiny screwdriver and fix your sunglasses there for you. No, like, he can't yeah. do anything. He is completely useless. Yeah. So this facility that is massive... That is, like, they call it Central City. So clearly, it is roughly the size of a small city. It's for two scientists and some hands to help out, probably. <laughs> like, <laughs> Although, if we follow that even further, then, I mean, like, Sue is basically there as a prop for Reed anyway. Mm-hmm. So really, this is just, this is all for Reed. <laughs> and that's why I hate it. And that's why it makes me, like I said before, that's why it makes me hate myself. Because this movie makes me be like, fuck millennials. You entitled pieces of shit. You're the ones who got us into this mess in the first place. And because you managed to plug the hole in the giant portal you opened, doesn't mean you're a freaking hero. Doesn't mean that you get everything that you've ever wanted just because you're you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Fuck me. <laughs> I'd say it's about time to start wrapping this wrapping this bitch up. So yeah. the way that we always do that is by assigning this movie a rating in our own Netflix profile. So as a reminder... One star means you hated it. Two stars means didn't like it. Three stars means you liked it. Four stars means really liked it. And five stars means you loved it. As well, I want to hear your MVP. So who uh, who brought this out of the muck for you or who took this to the next level? Um, all right. Well, I'll start with the MVP. Um, I do actually have to say it was uh, it was Ben. Um, so the thing, I actually thought he did a pretty good job. Like he was supposed to be kind of a lunkhead, bit of a dumbass. And I mean he actually showed the most character as a person with a stone face. 
which I think is pretty interesting because everybody else was incredibly dry, incredibly boring and two-dimensional. He actually had a little bit of character behind him because it was just like he had all the right to be kind of bitter at Reed because, you know, hey, dude, you should come and join me. Okay, now your life is ruined and I'm going to leave you. Peace out. See ya. So, yeah, he should be pretty pissed off. So... He actually showed character. He, For me, he actually at least made it somewhat entertaining. Not to mention the CG on him was uh, really fantastic. Um, damn it, I did it now. Right? Um, but, you know, yeah. So he, he seemed to be the only standout, including the the dad who at first I was like, oh, he seems like he can act. Nah, it was just the same crap over and over and for him. Because we can't do half stars, I don't feel it's worthy of a two. I don't know if it's worthy of a one, but because we can't do half... Um, I'm going to have to give it a one. Yeah. Otherwise, it would have been a one and a half. Fair enough. So uh, you're closer to saying you hated it than you didn't like it? Yeah. I, I watched it four times because <laughs> I hate myself. Um, Why would you do that? Because I kept falling asleep in Were it. Were you hoping something was going to change? <laughs> I wanted to make sure that my feelings of hating it profusely were grounded and it wasn't just like, I'm in a bad mood today. No, okay. it, it was actually, it put me in a bad mood. Yeah. So... For me, I, I'm, I'm kind of struggling with the rating because, you know, one star seems so harsh. Mm-hmm. You know, like what's a, you know, like one star? That's got to be a pretty terrible movie. Like for my Netflix profile, I usually reserve that for like, in the name of the king, two two worlds, garbage movie, <laughs> <laughs> or um the like the asylum movies, but the ones that don't pull off being funny, mm-hmm. like three-headed shark attack like that kind of nonsense like yeah. like it has to be willfully awful to get one star but then i'm also thinking like if not a movie that's boring until it's dumb then what else gets one star but for now it's sitting as two because i didn't like there i didn't hate it i didn't hate it mm-hmm. but i really didn't like it so i'm in that same boat you are where you know if if you could do the half i'd stick it in between but i'll say two that way ours can average out mm-hmm um, and then my MVP was the same. It was actually Jamie Bell because I thought that he did a he did the best job of everybody who was on the screen. You know, he you you felt his pain. You mm-hmm. felt how angry he was. You felt even taking the whole rock thing off the table. He's the only person who seems like he actually has something going on other under the surface, other than words that somebody told him to read out of a script. Yeah. So uh, yeah, Jamie Bell, great job. You got two MVPs here. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure you're listening. Obviously. <laughs> All right. So that's uh, that's going to wrap it up. Thanks so much, Pat, for coming on and, and doing this and uh, join me once again for yet another dumpster fire of a movie. And I look forward to the next fire we get to set and try and put out. <laughs> Wonderful. Is there anything that you're working on that people should know about or anywhere that people can, uh, can find you? Uh, if you are looking for me, you can find me on uh, Twitter. It's at the Pat L. It's pretty simple. Just remember the paddle. Other than that, you can also find me on Instagram as well, too. I like to show pictures of random corgis and beer, which are pretty much the essence of my life. Right, and you also have uh, you also have a blog now. Is that something? I do have a little bit of a blog. I uh, I did kind of put on a mini hiatus. I am repopulating it right now. Um, kind of mini backstory. 2015 was not probably my greatest year, so 2016 I decided I wanted to do something about it. So I've decided to do something new every single month 
whether it be something extravagant, like I went on a trip to San Francisco, or something very simple, such as, you know, starting to do uh, some training courses uh, using Linda online. But uh, I do blogs about that, and I do write about that as much as I can, uh, or when I remember. And uh, (laughs) so that in itself is also a new thing, which is still in the works. Uh, But you can find that somewhere. I will post it most likely online somewhere. All right, I'll uh, I'll be sure to find it and link to it in the episode's description. So, um, yeah, it, actually, if I always forget to talk about this, but uh, if you go to netflixblog.wordpress.com, there is a page dedicated to every episode. So if there's any links or videos or anything like that, then uh, or if you just want to find our guests, be sure to check out each episode's page there. Um, yeah, so that's going to do it for this week from the Netflix podcast. Thank you again, Pat. We really appreciate it. Thank you. So if you liked what you heard today, as I mentioned, head on over to netflixblog.wordpress.com to check out the rest of the Netflix content, like show notes, articles, and reviews. You can also find us on all sorts of social media platforms. We're on Facebook as Netflix, Twitter at NetflixPod, where you can also find me at Dylan Clark Moore, and we're on Tumblr and SoundCloud as Netflix Podcast. You can also find me on Letterboxd as Dylan Clark Moore. Letterboxd is an online media diary, and it's the only place where you can see a list of all the upcoming movies that we're going to be talking about on the podcast. If you'd like to support the show, there are a few ways that you can do so. One is by telling your friends. Because really, the opinions of strangers on the internet doesn't matter anywhere near as much as hearing from a friend that you would like to hear the sound of our voices. Uh, If you do feel like telling random strangers on the internet, though, you can head over to iTunes and drop a rating and a review to let us know what you think. As well, you can also contribute directly to Netflix by way of our Patreon campaign. Whether you're looking for rewards like shoutouts on the podcast or customized content, or if you'd just like to see us keep doing what we're doing, you can pledge your support at patreon.com. You can also go to the Netflix blog and hit the support link at the very top of the screen. The Netflix podcast is produced and edited by me, Dylan Clark Moore. The theme music was provided by Zach Moore. Thank you so much for checking out this week's episode of the Netflix podcast, and be sure to join me here next week for a whole new conversation about a whole new movie from the Netflix catalog. Because even if you think you've seen it all, you ain't streamed nothing yet. This guy's kind of stretchy. This girl can fly for some reason. This guy's made of fires. This guy probably has a lot of kidney stones. (laughs) Fuck.